want to think for a minute about being ashamed. Um, and as we do, I'm going to share a little bit, but then just to prompt you that whether you chat online or uh, in the room, shout out, have some questions. But I want to think for a minute about what it means to be ashamed. I'm going to think about two different things. So the first thing about being ashamed is to be embarrassed to reveal things about myself to others. Saying, I'm ashamed of some things. There are some things that I just don't want people to know. What might be some examples of things that, just hypothetically, not you in particular, but people in general, what might be some things that we say, oh, I don't really want anybody to know. What kinds of things might that be? Something embarrassing. Something embarrassing. Yeah, any ideas? <laughs> Just hypothetical. No. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, something embarrassing. What might be examples of that? Yeah. Sure. So sometimes we trip and we fall and we say, oh, I was at the doctor this week. Have you fallen in the past year? Turns out I had. Yeah. Yes. Someone like a teacher takes Okay. Yeah. So like I've passed a note and has anybody misdirected an email or a text? A little bit embarrassing. Yeah. Great. What are some other examples of things that, that we might be, we don't want to expose. We don't want anybody else to know about. I mean, someone I should know the name. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I should know your name and I'm going to, I'm hoping it's coming to me. It'll come by the time the conversation's done and I'm afraid to say. Okay, so I'm, I'm wrestling with this one. We got a chat here that says, uh, your underwear drops in the pool. <laughs> I'm sure there's a good story behind this one. <laughs> Should I say the name that's attached to the chat? <laughs> yeah, anything else that people just, you know, I, I want to keep this to myself. Still a candy bar when you little. Ah, still stole a candy bar, right? Something, yeah, yeah. Maybe like your favorite movie or your favorite songs. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes some of us are ashamed of our opinions. It's like in your marriage. Trouble in your marriage, yeah, that, that there's something there. Or if I'm not Yeah. Yeah, no, I think we're we're heading into finals at MSU, and and uh, you know I was always ashamed. I don't want to tell anybody one answer I gave to a question. You know, some people as soon as the exam's done, let's compare what we all said. It's like, no, I'm ashamed of my answers. I don't want to tell anybody because I don't know if they're good or not. I'll wait and let the teacher tell me, and I'm not going to tell you even after the professor says. <laughs> not remembering someone's name. Yeah, not remembering a name. Yeah, things we can't control about our health. Yeah, certainly sometimes that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> All sorts of stuff. Okay, I think we're going to move on. No. <laughs> Another part of being ashamed is when we are hesitant to trust something fully. Right? So it's a different kind of ashamed, but we say, well, this is really good, but I'm not sure I can fully trust it. So in the financial world, people say, don't put all your money in one company, right? Don't put all your money in one place because it might not work. Uh, but a different example is, it's getting cold. Lake Lansing will freeze before too long. To be ashamed of the ice 
is to think, I don't know if I can step out here or not, right? I, I start to go a little bit and it's like, oh, is it going to hold me, right? This is, this is being ashamed. I'm not sure if it's really reliable. Does it make sense? Other examples of where we're ashamed of a solution because we're not really sure it's going to work. Any ideas along those lines? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to accept other people's help when you need it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something you can't yeah. really trust. Yes. There's not strings attached or, I don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's really true. So we can be ashamed of somebody else's help when we're not sure it's going to be good. <laughs> not sure if there's more here that I should know about. What about carrying an umbrella around on a sunny day? Because you see all the forecasts. It's going to rain later. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so this idea of like if we're ashamed of the forecast, we're not going to put all our confidence in it. And so we will be sure that we've got a backup plan. Right? Yeah, there's something else. Sometimes when you have some sense in your, I don't know, like this happens to me a lot, where you have some confidence in the spirit that this thing is going to work out okay, and you get out of a place of faith or something, and then you are embarrassed to have somebody actually do this as well as driving you, and yet you will listen to people like Brian Bernanke that will make a proposition on their country, and we would be okay to repeat that, but not be okay to say that. I'm here, I'm going to stay this course because. Yeah, yeah, no, to be ashamed in the in the sense I sense that God has led me in a way, has said something to me. And to be ashamed of it is to say, well, I'm not sure I can speak about that. I'm I'm a bit ashamed about it. I want to think about this for a bit. So this idea that being ashamed includes this idea of being hesitant about something that I ought to trust, but I'm not sure if I can. I think it's along these lines that the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not hesitant about the gospel. I'm not afraid to say I trust in the gospel because it is so certain. Right? To be ashamed of something is, yeah, I think so, but it's a bit challenging to really trust. And, and so I think sometimes, sometimes, maybe not you, but maybe sometimes, We're hesitant to reveal to people our trust in Christ. We're hesitant to say, I actually believe in hell. I actually believe in judgment. And we're hesitant to say it. And sometimes, I think, we're hesitant to trust Christ fully. To say, you know what? He's going to meet all my needs. But I'm not quite ready to give up my bank account. Right? We're hesitant to trust him fully because... Maybe we're just not really sure. There's a bit of of being ashamed, like walking on ice. We're not sure it's going to work. And I want to spend some time thinking about this today. And the prayer, and I want to just lead us in prayer now, is that God would give us a joyful, unhesitant boldness only in Christ alone. That he would do that work in us. That we would just have this bold confidence that that's enough. That he is enough. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you know all our hearts and you know all the truth. And Jesus, we thank you that you are a wonderful teacher and we thank you that you are at work today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in our hearts and I ask, we ask, that you would give us a joyful, unhesitating confidence and boldness 
in Jesus Christ, in what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do, that we would not be ashamed, but we would be boldly confident, trusting him. Thank you that you will do this work. So we anticipate it. We give you praise through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Uh, the title today is Only in Christ Alone. Um, and we'll talk more about this drawing in a few minutes. Um, we're in Colossians 2. Uh, so we're taking several weeks preparing for our celebration of the birth of the Son of God as Jesus of Nazareth. And today, taking a look at uh, what it really means, right? What happened in the birth of the Son of God as Jesus of Nazareth. So I encourage you to have your Bible open to uh, Colossians 2, whether it's a paper Bible or electronic, and there are, uh, there are kids' bulletins that have the text on it as well as uh, notes that are available. So we move to it. Let me just uh, say a word about Colossae. This is a, a letter that was written to a church in Colossae, and this was a really important letter to send. It was really needed because there was a really significant problem among the church, uh, Christians in Colossae. And here I think is what the problem was. That they thought they needed more than just Christ to be complete and fulfilled. They thought they needed more than just him. Right. So to, to be complete, they started to add other things. To say, well, it's great to know Jesus Christ. But you know what? To really be fulfilled you needed to have some extra mystical experiences. It's really significant. If you could have a vision of heaven, then you would be fulfilled. Right? If you could have these experiences of the Holy Spirit and of God, then you would be fulfilled. It seems that they also thought, well, maybe you also need help with spiritual agents and guides. Maybe you need to figure out how to deal with angels and demons. And, and this is essential if you're going to really be fulfilled, to have all that you need. You need these other things. Or maybe there are these special rites and rituals like circumcision or special days that you need to celebrate or you need to fast. And if you'll fast, then you could be fulfilled. Many different things. If you do these things, then you'll complete, be complete. Then you'll be fulfilled. And so I think in this sense, the Christians in Colossae were becoming ashamed of Christ in the sense that they didn't fully trust in him. They felt like they had to have other things too. They were thinking he wasn't enough. Don't put all your trust in him and these other things too, because that's an essential part they were thinking. So I do think this is a much needed letter to the church today, in part because I know it's a much needed letter for me. So sometimes to be complete, we might think we need Christ and we need a certain amount of money and health and relationships. If we're going to be complete, Right? And if we're going to be fulfilled, we've got to have these things too. He's not enough. It's great to have Jesus in your life. But when you think of the future and you don't have enough money for it, well, that's a real problem. And he doesn't help much with that, we think. So we think we need other things. Sometimes we think, you know, it is great to have Christ, but boy, we need skill and ability. We, we need to know how to interact with people. <laughs> We need to have some knowledge and some gifts. And it's great to have Jesus Christ, but we need a sense of inner fulfillment that says this is what it takes for me to feel like I'm okay. 
It's great to have him. That's good. Nothing against that. But we need other things. Or we need approval or praise or honor or acceptance from people. And I know this because I run into this all the time. I think isn't it great to get up in the morning and say, Jesus loves me? <laughs> but somebody else doesn't. And I have a real strong sense that this isn't good today. <laughs> it's not enough that he loves me. I need other people to love me too. It's not enough that, that he's providing heaven. I need help today to meet my needs, right? And so perhaps we are hesitant to trust in the gospel completely. Perhaps in some sense we are ashamed of the gospel. And I think this is where the people in Colossae were. And so we're going to start at verse 6, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And I think this is really the heart of what Paul was writing to these Christians. He says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Just to stop there for a second, he says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Stay there. This is where you're to live. You received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now live there. And I love it. You know what? He doesn't say, live your lives following Jesus. He doesn't say, live your lives on Jesus and what he taught. (laughs) He said, live your lives in him, in Jesus not just like him, not just near him, but live your lives in him. And then he gives these multiple images. He says it's like a tree that's rooted, it's planted in something. Be rooted in Jesus. He says, like a building being built up, be built up in Jesus. Be strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And he says, be overflowing with thankfulness. And so I think we see here God's work in all Christians. And so a fascinating thing, those first three words rooted, built up, and strengthened are all a technical thing in a passive voice, meaning that somebody else is doing these. In some profound sense, it's not us figuring out how do we get rooted and built up and strengthened. This is what God does. So God's work in all Christians, Paul says, is God has rooted us in Christ. God has, is building us up in Christ. And God is strengthening our faith on a sure foundation. He says God is doing this in all those who have trusted him. And so he says, we should do two things. One, live our lives in Christ. He's doing this, so we should live in him. And he says, we should overflow with thankfulness. Because see, if I have an active sense of those things, I will wake up in the morning thankful if I have an active sense of those things. So I, I do think how thankful we are is a good indicator of how much we believe in the sufficiency of Christ. If I go through my life saying I don't have what I need, if I'm not thankful, it suggests that either I don't believe that Jesus is enough or I believe that other things have to be added to it or that's not enough. So he says, just as you received Christ, live in him. Live in Christ. And because of all he's doing, be overflowing with thankfulness. But then he gives us really, verse 8, he gives us really strong warning. He says that no one takes you captive. See that no one takes you captive. It's a really strong sense of somebody coming and kidnapping you. And in some sense, we should be worried about each other saying, are you getting kidnapped? Are you vulnerable? Because he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. 
which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So make sure that this hollow and deceptive philosophy, it comes from human tradition, human ideas, and it comes from these elemental spiritual forces. And if you like theological debates, here you go. Go dig into that one. This word has all sorts of debates about what is he talking about? But here's what we know for sure. Be careful that people don't take you captive by anything that's not on Christ, that's not founded in him, that's not focused on him. And and so here I think the lies were, Christ is not enough for a full and flourishing life. They said, you've got to figure out these other things for a full and flourishing life. He's not enough. And, And the lie is that it's not enough for me. And then I look at other people and say, well, you may have Christ, but you've got some other problems in your life. Christ isn't going to be enough for you. And this is a lie that they were told. They were told you can't have fellowship with people who don't have these other things. There's a lie that says, you know what? There's some pretty good alternatives to Christ. Maybe there's some better alternatives to Christ. So there are other things that you need. You need this kind of therapy and that's what you really need. Christ isn't enough without that. He said, he said be sure no one takes you captive through these other things. And so then he goes back in verse nine and says, so here's what you need to know. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And just stop there for a second. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the God over all creation, the creator, the the one who surrounds all of creation, he says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives there. And another good theological mind-bending thing is that there is one being of God and three persons. He says, in the person of the Son of God and Jesus Christ, the entire being of God is there. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then the startling thing, he says, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. The fullness of God lives in as Jesus Christ. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He says, he is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. He says, Christ is the head over all these other powers. Every other thing you might look to, he's the head over that. And he says in this, this form of circumcision, he says, your whole self ruled by the flesh was, pull, was uh, put off. All that part of you that is controlled by what is against God, he says, Christ has gotten rid of it. He's cut it off. He's taken it away. It's gone. He says that that you have been buried with him in baptism so that you are also raised with him. And this is a profound idea. He says, here's what has happened. All the fullness of the God has is in Christ. If you're in Christ now, you have all this fullness. You are filled. He's, He's cut off from you. He's thrown away the part of you ruled by sin. He says, you've been buried with Christ Christ. 
in baptism, and he says you've been raised with him. You've come to new life with him through your faith. And it's a faith in the ongoing work of God. So it's two directions I see here. One is in the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas, the full being of God in the person of Jesus. The full being of God in this baby. (laughs) We can't comprehend it. And yet here he says, it's the full being that was muted, was, was hidden. And yet the full being of God in the incarnation. And then just as astounding in the rebirth, now God brings us to fullness in Christ. We have what we need. In him, we have all that we need. He says that we've been buried with him and and this is a death to the power of sin and Satan. He says, in Christ, Satan has no more power. Sin no longer rules over us. We're buried with him. We have a life with him that cannot be touched. He says you have this through faith, and I love this expression that faith, it's a surrendering trust in Christ who is overall. It's not just a, a mind that says, oh, that's true. It's a surrendering faith that says, a surrendering trust that says, yeah, this is who he is, this is what he has said, and I trust it. If he's the ice on the lake, I say, I can't see all of it, but I will step on it. I will trust in Christ. It's a surrendering trust. He says, all the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. And when we're in Christ, we have fullness. Delivered over from the power of sin and death forever. So then verse 13, he goes on. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You were dead in your sins. You were cut off from God. And yet God has made you alive with Christ. And this statement, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. In the old days, there was a, uh, when you owed somebody money, apparently you would write it in your own handwriting, like signing it. But this says, I really own this. I, I mean, I really owe this. This is something I have to give. And it says that, that paper that had our name on it that says, I owe because of how badly I've behaved, the things that I've done. He says, God's canceled that. He's taken that away. It is gone. And he says, that he has disarmed the powers and actually lost the the ability to advance here for a second. Thanks, Gene. Yeah, we'll see if we'll get that. There we go, perfect. Yeah, he has disarmed the powers. He says that in Jesus Christ, we have a victory that takes away our sin completely. Right, He, he... takes away from us, and he took away from us the entire power that that has over us, all the weight that that is. By being judged for our sin, he took away the power that our guilt has over us. Do you realize the power that our guilt has over us? (laughs) It steals our joy. It it ruins our relationships. 
It takes away our sense of our well-being. The guilt that we have is just so destructive. And he says, he took the power of that away. You, you can see in, in this where we sang this song last week. It is well with my soul. My sin of the joy of the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. My sin, not in part, but in whole, this record, this account that stood against me, it's been nailed to the cross with Christ. The sign above that says, Jesus is being condemned because of my sin, that record was put right there and he paid the price for it. And I bear it no more. He says, we have been completely forgiven. In Christ, that's all taken care of. And he says, and I love this expression, God made you alive with Christ. See that? Sometimes I think God the Father is is the bad one. He's the one who gets angry and judges people. And Jesus came and he stood between us. But that's not what happened. He says, God made you alive with Christ. God the Father made us alive, said, here's what I want to do. And in my son, I will give you life by taking away the charge that is against you. And he nailed that to the cross. It's this amazing idea. He says, you don't find this anywhere else. There is no spiritual practice you can do that has this power. There is no friend you can find who can do this for you. There is no money in the world that could buy this for you. And this is what we need more than anything else. And Christ has done it. See, the big idea is that full and flourishing life forever is found only in Christ alone, right? All that we need, it's only there. He says, the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we've been brought to fullness. So he says to these Colossian believers, don't go chasing after these other things, these special practices or spirits that you need to contact or visions you want to have. He says, none of that is necessary. And in fact, that's taking you away from your confidence in Christ. So a number of years ago, I taught um, for MSU a a master's course in England. And uh, in in, in Plymouth, England, there was a, uh, in the town, there was this giant aquarium. Uh, It was an aquarium that was as tall as the ceiling, something like that, giant glass in front of it. And we actually had commencement in front of it. And uh, so here's where, I'll say a little bit more about this drawing, but this is Karen's drawing. As we looked at these fish, maybe there's some things that weren't fish in there. I don't know my biology well enough. So we looked at these fish. I realized that fish have different defense strategies. See, here's the goal of being a fish. Eat and not get eaten, right? This is what you got to do is you got to eat other things, but not let anything eat you. And fish have all sorts of different strategies to do that. So take a look at this. Can you tell me some, what are some of the strategies that fish might have? Camouflage. Camouflage. Yeah, you see, so there's, there's, let me see. I bet this will work. Yeah, so you see the fish here hidden behind things. Yeah, other camouflage. What else? Ink. Yeah. Yeah, how do we make a cloud of ink so you can't even see where I am? Yeah. What was that? Oh, you made me. (laughs) Yeah, other things you see in here. Sharp pointy teeth. Yeah, 
Yeah, let's see. Don't you dare come near me. I'll, I'll bite you back. What else? Schooling. Schooling. Yeah, very good. Hide in the crowd. Yeah. Can you see this one down here? I really love this one. I love flatfish. They're just like regular fish, but they, they live like this and both eyes are on top. It's just the greatest thing. And so they can just hide in the sand. You can't even see them. My other favorite one is the spine and the blowfish, right? Oh, you think you're going to attack me? You can't get me because I'm too big. Or if you do swallow me, it's not a pretty picture. So here's what I realized. All my students, they had defense strategies. And I think I could see some of them. Soon some of us are threatened, ah, out come the teeth. You don't dare attack me. Some of us, as soon as we're threatened, let's hide. Where can I disappear? Or, and dare I say this, some of the young people might know how to do this. Let's make chaos, ink everywhere, and then they can't find me because there's all of a sudden chaos everywhere, right? All these different strategies. I realized that my students had all these different strategies. Some, when they were threatened, they would be blowfish. Oh, I'm really smart after all. And they'd tell me all that they know. And some, it's just like, don't call me, don't call me, please don't say anything, right? How can I hide? All these different strategies. And then I realize, this is life. This is what we do in life. Some of us, as soon as we're threatened, the fangs come out because this is how I'm going to defend myself, right? All these different strategies. And here's what I realize. As Christians, we do this too. And so sometimes we trust Christ and we add our own strategies for fullness. We say, oh, there's this other thing. It helped me once, and so I'm going to keep doing it. And yeah, I know that Jesus loves me, but you know, in order to get through life, I got these other things I got to do in order to be okay. And so often what I saw in my students is what they thought helped them was actually hurting. Because the last thing the student needs who likes to hide is to be hidden, Right? That's not, and, and the last thing the student who blusters and says, oh, I'm so smart, is to tell everybody they're smart because they're hiding that they're not. The last thing that we need is often the very thing we keep doing. And we do that as Christians. And I think this is what the Colossian Christians were doing is saying, we've got these other strategies we're going to add to trusting Jesus. But the reality is that full and flourishing life forever is found only in Christ alone. You see, only in Christ can he put away our whole self that was ruled by sin, right? He says this, he cuts off from us the whole self ruled by sin. And he does that. Only in Christ can, can we completely cancel our debt for the wrongs we've done, right? No counseling can do that. No, no friend, no person who says, oh, it's okay, can get rid of that. Only Christ can make us truly alive. Nothing else can. Only Christ can give us fullness, completeness, flourishing forever. And Christ has done all that for those who put their trust in him. Now, an objection I want to respond to, because I'm not saying this, but I raise the question, does fully trusting Christ for full and flourishing life mean we can stop going to doctors and counselors and teachers and, and now we don't have to think about money anymore? We don't have to plan for the future? And certainly not. That's not what I'm saying. So let me use this as an illustration. A master of any craft can use a lot of different kinds of tools, right? And so a master painter can use a spatula to paint an amazing picture, can use 
brushes, can use their fingers, can use all sorts of things. A master woodworker can can work with all sorts of wood and with all sorts of different tools and can scrape on things. They can use different, right? A master can use all sorts of tools. And the tools are nothing compared to the master. So here's the mistake that I make. I think, well, the problem, the reason I can't paint is I don't have good enough brushes. And the reason I'm not a good woodworker is because I just don't have a good enough workshop, right? And that's not the reason I'm not a good work, woodworker. <laughs> the tools aren't the point. The tools are nothing compared to the master. So Jesus is the great master of life. And as the master, he uses many tools to do his work. But he's the one who has to do the work. So when I think of provision in our lives, we need provision, right? We need food. And so the master can use money and hard work and relationships and charity. And the master can use all sorts of things to meet this need. In terms of health, the master can use doctors and medicine and science and healthy eating and exercise and miracles. The master can use all sorts of things to accomplish this. In terms of hope, the master can use music and people and art and prayer and his word and spirit, right? The master uses all these different things. But the point is the master. So we trust the master watching for which tool he would use, right? So as a Christian, it's so good to pursue good counseling, good advice, good learning, good strategies. But our hope is not that we're going to go out and find the therapist who will solve things, <laughs> Our hope is not that we're going to go find this new technique, this new training about relationships, and that's going to do it. Because it can't. But God can use all those things. right? And so we look to the master who will use all sorts of things, even trouble. Even trouble to do his good work. right? So trusting Christ for full and flourishing life doesn't mean we stop paying attention to good strategies and resources. It means that we trust him to do what he will do to accomplish it. Because full and flourishing life forever is found only in Christ alone. So Paul says in his letter, here's what I want you to do, is live our lives in Christ. Not just following Christ, not just built on Christ, but live your lives in Christ. So he says, be rooted in him. So in this, it's to be born again. Born again in Christ by Christ. A surrendering trust that says, I can't do this anymore. I want what you have to give in the way you give it, and I'll trust you. It's to be born again. And being born again is, is in reality, something that God has to do for us. We can't go out and say, I'm going to be born again. There are good prayers or good strategies, good explanations. But what has to happen is God has to do this work. And so we come to him and say, would you do this work? And to be rooted in him is always to be growing deeper into the gospel. Always growing deeper in the gospel, not leaving it behind, but always saying God is holy and God is love. And the conviction, that is true. And we are not worthy of his holiness or his love. He is holy and he is love, but we're not worthy of it. And yet this great expression, Christ nailed the charge against sinners by his death on the cross, fully releasing all who are in Christ, completely releasing us from the ways in which we are not worthy. And we find life in Christ through the surrendering trust in Christ until he comes again. And what we say is, God, I need this yet again. When I get up in the morning and I read the news, I need to go through this again and say, you know what? God is holy and God is love and none of us is worthy of that. 
And here's our only hope. That Christ nailed the charges on the cross. And so we're to trust him and to follow him. When I realize my failings, when I've let people down, or I, I realize I'm judging people again, or I realize my failings, I have to go back and say, well, yeah, God is love and God is holy. And I'm not worthy of that. And yet Christ has nailed that charge to the cross. And, and I receive this new life through a surrendering trust in him. And so to return to this foundation, and I would say, here's what we do as we grow as Christians, is we learn to return to it faster. <laughs> Sometimes it takes us a long time to return to this. Oh, that's right. I should stop judging all these people and realize I'm just like them. And we need to return to this foundation faster and faster. We're to live our lives in Christ, being rooted in him, and then we're to be built up in him and strengthened in the faith. And the reality is God does that work. He says that he is building up. He's strengthening his true children. And so then we join in that work. We join in that work by saying, I need to know his word. I need to know what he said in the Bible. I need to pray. I want to obey. So important to be in fellowship, to seek his kingdom and to follow his ways. These are good things for us to do, but here's the big warning. Never put our hope in, the, in these things or in other things. Never say, well, if only you can keep after my Bible reading. I start and I fail and, oh, I guess I'm just no good at being a Christian. <laughs> Go back to the gospel. God is the only one who is holy and loving and none of us is worthy of it. And he's wiped that, that statement against us away. So we don't put our trust in these things, but we join in these things, whether or not they're good, neutral, or bad. Sometimes we put our trust in bad things that are destructive, like attacking other people whenever we feel threatened. It's a bad thing. Sometimes we put our trust in good things, like good relationships. But the only thing that will help us is a surrendering trust in Christ alone and then saying, God, would you use those things? The ones I like and the ones that I don't, would you use those things? So our trust, our surrendering trust is in Christ alone, not in people or techniques or programs or my world. Trying harder. <laughs> I'll just try harder. I'll work harder. That's going to get me there. And that's some of us. And other people, if I just do a better job of distracting myself, that'll get us there. <laughs> it's a surrendering trust in Christ alone. And so then here's another challenge, is not to add these other requirements on other people. Say God is the one who has to work in people. And I can come up with all sorts of reasons to judge them, which really judges me, right? Reveals my failures that we are to see that God is at work building up and strengthening his true children, and he calls us to be a part of that. To live our lives in Christ is never be ashamed of Christ and the gospel. It is to gladly be identified with him, which is far from simple. A lot of confusion in that and judgment that isn't related to the claims of the gospel, but actually, a bunch of the time, it is that the world doesn't like to hear that God is holy and people will never be good enough. to gladly be identified with him. And then especially is don't hesitate to trust him fully. To say he is the one solution. He might use the doctor. He might use a good job. He might use financial provision. But none of those things will help if he isn't at work. And so we trust him fully, whether or not he uses human and natural means. And, and he gives this, this warning 
that says boldly trust in Christ, whatever we see, right? This, this is what he says. Don't let anybody take you captive saying it needs to be something else in addition to boldly trust in Christ, whatever it is that we see, that we are to never lose heart in the power of God to do far beyond all we ask or imagine. And that's a challenge. We're called to trust him fully, believing he is the one who's at work. And to live our lives in Christ, last is to be to overflow with thanksgiving to God. Right, we're to praise God for what we already have, fullness in Christ, who is the fullness of God. So I'm looking to some of the youth here. I know the youth have been going through First and Second Peter. And I think recently you looked at this verse. Second Peter 1 says this startling thing. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We say it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> I've got questions I need answers to. I've got, I've got pain that needs to be healed. I've got conflicts that need to be resolved. I don't have everything. But the claim is his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life. And where does it come from? Through our knowledge of him. Through being in Christ. We're to live our lives in Christ because full and flourishing life forever is found only in Christ alone. And again, I'm not saying relationships don't matter and having good resources for uh, you know, saving money for the future and having a good job and all these things are so good. None of them is sufficient. And Christ is. So whether or not we have those things, we find our fullness in Christ alone, because only Christ is the fullness of God. And so as we celebrate Christmas, I encourage us to wrestle with the question, in what ways do we hesitate to fully trust him? Right? To say, I don't think without having my career path figured out, I can be at peace. It's like that's saying, well, he's not enough. I can't fully trust him. We're ashamed of him. But Jesus Christ is the fullness of the deity in human form. Jesus Christ is the only means of fulfillment and completeness. And when we see this, we can overflow with thankfulness and with joyful, unhesitating boldness only in Christ alone because in this one who was born as a baby is the fullness of God. And when we put our surrendering trust in him, we are brought to fullness in him. And sometimes we feel it, and sometimes we don't. In transparency for me, preaching is one of those things that sometimes I hesitate. It's like, is this going to make a difference to people's lives? And I hear a lot of voices that, that question. And yet I go to God's word and he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, proclaim the word. Make known God's word. And this is what he declares to us, that in him it's sufficient, even when we can't see how it will be. In Christ alone, and only in Christ alone, do we have the hope, the fullness, the life that is ours, and one day we will see it completely. And so as we go about preparing for and celebrating Christmas, See in this child, the one who is the fullness of God, who brings us fullness in Christ, 
that we would overflow with thankfulness to the one who gives us all we could ever need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that you are the one with the plan to show your love for people like us through your son. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, the son of God made a human being in whom is the fullness of the deity. And we thank you that in him, by trusting in him, we are brought to fullness. Father, many of us feel many needs today. There are a lot of things that we're very aware of that we lack. I pray that you would bring the conviction that none of those things apart from you can give us what we need. And you can use those things or you could use our lack of those things to do your work. So I ask that you would give us a boldness, a confidence in your will and your ways and of the gift that we have in the Son of God made a human being to live and die to take away from us the charge against us for our failings, to raise us together with him to the fullness of life. In his name we pray, amen.